0: This is recording number 11058, from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 7, 2013. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, A Different Orientation. Now, Sue and I have been married for almost 40 years. This next, uh, uh, next year, I've got to come up with something big, because that will be our anniversary. Anyway, <clears throat> for our whole married life, we've been involved in ministry. Before uh, we became pastors, we, I was in a music ministry, a traveling music ministry. And um, so, uh, we've, we've been serving the Lord together our whole lives. But even as Christians and even as uh, quote unquote ministers, um, I, for the first 10 years or so of our marriage, I was not a good guy to be married to. And uh, I was very controlling, I was very driven, and uh, was communicating to my wife again and again and again and again, I don't need you you're in my way, if you, you don't do things well, you know, all of that stuff. And for after a decade, she wasn't even mad at me anymore, she just wanted to get out of my way, because that's what I kept communicating to her, you're, you're in my way. So she showed up in my office one day at the church, at the church, and said, I'm leaving you. And uh, had it not been for that brick to the head, uh, 30 years of bliss I would have missed. Um, but that day uh, I made a choice. I made a choice to let God work in my life to, uh, to change me. Now the reason I'm telling you this little story is because I think that all human behaviors are made up of three things. First, nature. Second, environment, and when I use the word environment, I'm environment, I'm talking about things, nature are things things that are internal to you, environment are things that are external to you, experiences that you've had, things that have been done to you, ways that you have been modeled, you know, a lot of that comes from our family and other kinds of uh, relationships. And then there's choice. And so these things, nature plus environment plus choice, equals behavior. So if this is 100%, if behavior is 100%, these are some percentage. And it just depends, you know. It, uh, it can be... I don't even know how to talk about the, what percentage of nature, what percentage of environment, what percentage of choice equals 100% of your behavior, but it's, it's some percentage of these three things equals your behavior, yes? And I have can make a case, scientifically, I can make a case that my predisposition... To uh, drivenness and controlling. I'm sure I'm not spelling these things correctly, and that's why I, I wrote so terribly there. That then you can't, you can't tell, right? <laughs> um, but I can make a scientific case for you today that my drivenness and my controlling was at least in, so, in part, in some percentage of this behavior, some percentage of it was my genetic makeup. Because you see, uh, DNA did not survive the fall. Your genetic makeup is as broken as everything else in God's creation. Just because something is natural doesn't mean it's right. Think about all the... the gazillions of dollars that we throw at genetic diseases, natural diseases. Because things are are genetic, because things are natural, they don't necessarily mean... It doesn't necessarily mean that they're right. They're broken. The genetic code that is broken. Some component of my genetic, broken, uh, sin-scarred nature resulted in these things. I can tell you about it because I know some of the environmental issues that contributed to those things in my life. I can remember things. Uh, one very vivid memory some of you have heard me talk about before was our, the dysfunction of our family was played out often in the fact that we could never get uh, any place on time. I can remember being dropped off at, at, uh, at uh, Little League practice late again. I must have been probably eight or nine years old. I got out of the car and all, you know, everything's going on on the field already. I'm going to have to once again explain to my coach why I wasn't there on time. I'm going to have to take the ridicule from all the other guys. And walking from my car to that diamond, I swore to myself, I said, when I have control, I said that to myself, when I have control, I will never be late again. I remember these, some of these things that contributed, these environmental things that were external to me that contributed to my, my behaviors. That day when Sue said, I'm leaving you, and I was staring at the consequences of my behaviors, I couldn't do anything about my nature. I couldn't do anything about my genetic predisposition predispos- to these behaviors. I couldn't do anything about the environmental factors, the nurturing factors, the modeling factors that contributed to those, those behaviors. I could only do something about this. And I could choose that day to stop excusing my sin, which I had been doing. Because see, when you're a control freak and when you're driven, you can get a lot of things done and you can get a lot of applause. So. I kept telling myself, well, it's everybody else's fault. I'm the guy who gets stuff done, stop complaining. So that day I got to decide, I'm going to change my choices about this. And I chose to believe what was true, that this was sin. I chose to repent before God of my sin. That's the only part of this equation I could do anything about. But thank God, Jesus is powerful. God's saving grace is powerful, and He went to work on these other things. I'm not finished yet, but I'm a lo- asker. I'm a long way from where I was. He's awesome. <laughs> now the reason I, I told that little story and and uh, wrote these things on the whiteboard, is because today I want to talk to you about homosexuality. And let me, let me um, say a couple of things up front. Number one, let me acknowledge that the guts of this message I presented about five years ago. So for some of you, you may have heard some of this before. The second thing I want to say is that I hardly ever weigh into, into um, issues that are politicized. Because what ends up happening is that people find themselves um, choosing sides. And whenever there's any sort of political uh, framework to the discussion, it starts to be an outside-in affair. And that never works. We cannot, we cannot legislate our way towards godliness. We cannot um, argue our way towards godliness. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't take issue with anybody else doing anything else. All I know is that God told me that uh, I'm not to do that. I am a pastor. I'm supposed to feed and lead my flock. And I'm going to work on the inside of me and on the best I can on the inside of them. And whatever changes on the inside of us tends to have some impact on the outside. Following me? So I don't usually weigh in on these kinds of things. And we are in the middle of, of a national discussion once again about uh, about homosexuality and um, so typically I would not engage in this but I think that this is important enough that I want for us to take a look at this subject from God's point of view and so I'm going to ask you to lay aside your preconceptions of what you've already decided I'm going to say today and let's listen to what God has to say can we do that? Because a couple of things that happened in the last couple of weeks that are pretty significant for us here in the United States and will have impact around the world. Number one, two weeks ago, the, the man who led uh, an organization called Exodus International, his name is uh, Alan Chambers, uh, apologized for this ministry. Uh, Exodus International has been, for many years, um, serving people with same-sex attraction, a Christian organization serving people with same-sex attraction, and there are um, local uh, Exodus International organizations around the globe. In fact, I have friends who uh, uh, work with Exodus International in um, Taiwan. But the United States, the headquarters organization of Exodus International, went on record two weeks ago as apologizing for the years that they have been doing this work. Now, if you read the full text of Mr. Chambers' um, statement, there's some good things in there. I'm, I'm not here to throw stones at anybody. I'm, I'm not, but, but the problem is that the culture, all, this come, all that our culture has picked up out of it was uh, that Christians who have been saying, hey, there's a way out of the homosexual lifestyle have, decided, have thrown up their hands, raised the white flag of surrender, and said, uh, never mind. That's what's been picked up by our culture. And that, to me, is pretty, pretty sad. Um, the other thing that happened was a week and a half ago, our Supreme Court here in the United States made two decisions that are going to dr- drastically affect uh, you know, life uh, in our country. Uh, by basically, even though they didn't do this directly, by basically uh, redefining marriage. And uh, how they've done that is the, the majority decisions that resulted in these two actions, that I won't, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I won't even go into all that, that was um, engaged in these, or involved in these, uh, uh, th- these cases that came before the Supreme Court. But what I will say, though, is that the, the majority decisions uh, the way they were worded and the way they were penned uh, leaves really no room for any, ch- any other options when it comes to the state choices. And there are 37 states, I think, in the United States that still uh, don't allow gay marriage. Because they, they basically said the only way you can oppose gay marriage is on the basis of bigotry or judgmentalism. So any case that's going to come before any court in any part of the land is going to have to face that, and they're going to lose, right? So, I, you know, I'm not even, honestly, I'm not even troubled by this. I'm not here today to be wringing my hands and saying, oh no, oh my. I'm just here to say that we're, we're in a, a pretty, pretty significant seismic shift in our country, and before very long, uh, gay marriage is going to be legal in all of the states in our, in our country. And so we need to know, as believers, and you may be here today and be dealing with same-sex attraction. You may consider yourself a homosexual. I'm not here today to take issue with you. This is not about drawing sides. It's not about saying, hey, look at those bad guys, and we've got to fight them and all that. This is not that argument. What I want to do today is go with you to the Word of God so that we know how to how to serve the Lord Jesus in these days, and how to minister His glorious gospel that saves and heals and delivers in the midst of all this other political and socio-economic uh, seismic shifting. So, is that okay with you? Alright, let's take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let's just stop for a minute right there, dear one. You never have to apologize for the word of God. You never have to be ashamed or embarrassed about the word of God. This is not something that we take to beat. Pe- we use to beat people up with. This is not a weapon against any human. But it is a weapon against sin and ungodliness. We never have to apologize for it because of what we're going to read. This book here gives to us um, a vision of what God intended life to be like. And wherever we encounter the distortion of that, we have a solution. We have a cure. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. That word salvation means rescue, redemption, restoration. Powerful words, wonderful words. Uh, it, it, uh, It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Greek meaning anybody who's not a Jew. For in it the righteousness of God, or the rightness of God, the way things, God, the way God intended things to be, the rightness of God is revealed in it. From faith to faith, as it is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath or anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice, it is not the anger, or unri- uh, the uh, wrath of God is not revealed against unrighteous people, mm-hmm. ungodly people, because every one of us would qualify. Mm-hmm. It is the anger of God is addressed at the sin, the unrighteousness, the brokenness. Sue and I have just come back from vacation in a place that is so breathtakingly beautiful it's just hard to describe. Uh, The Teton Mountains in in, uh, in Wyoming. And I first visited that national park, Teton National Park, 50 years ago. I am just an old man. And I was moved by it then. And now, 50 years later, I was moved again. And partly because our national park system has preserved its spectacular beauty. I would have been ticked off if I had showed up there after having driven two full days. And there was a McDonald's on top of the Grand Teton. <laughs> right? But, but it wasn't. It was as pristine, as beautiful, as it was 50 years ago when I was there and I I had to think about what God must feel like about his creation all of us and everything that he intended for us how spectacular he intended this world to be and us to be in it the joy that he meant for us to experience day after day and how sin has been unleashed like a vandal like a uh, you know it's uh, somebody with a can of spray paint tagging everything, you know. It's a wreck and a mess and how that must break the heart of God, and that 's why it says here God is angry about the unrighteousness, about the ungodliness, not the people. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. You know, we, we, God has made it clear, His plans, His purposes, His desires. professing to be wise. Oh, we know what's best. We're so smart. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and we've worshipped ourselves. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, dear one, in case you forgot. Adam and Eve decided, well, God said this, but we know better, so we'll do what we think. Therefore God verse 24 says therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves sad words who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creator rather than the creature excuse me rather than the creator who is blessed forever for this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the pen- penalty of their error, which was due. When we when we turn away from God, worship ourselves, and and uh, do what we think is best, dear ones, we always pay a price. We always pay a price. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with, and listen to this horrible list, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded. They are whispers. That's in there too. What that means is gossipers. That's right in there with murderers. Let's read on. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Anybody here ever qualified? That's right in there with this list. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. See, these things describe a world where things are not as God intended. That's what this is about. It's not about homosexuals. It's not about murderers. It's about all of us. And all of the behaviors that, that have resulted in a world that isn't like God meant for it to be. Verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I want to just take a moment to think about, or to have you notice here in verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Separation from God is what that means. Eternal separation from God. You know this. Our sin, the Bible says, what we've earned for our sin is eternal separation from God. It's our choice. We decided as a race in the Garden of Eden to turn our back on the rule and reign of God and to make our own way. And so God has said, okay, have what you want. And that's what we've ended up with. It's a sad picture. But what I want you to see here, is that homosexuality is sin. Not because God doesn't like it, so to speak, but because it isn't, along with all of these other things, it isn't what God intended. It isn't how God intended. So as much as we may want to blame it on genetics, and I think that's true. As much as we may want to uh, you know just chalk it up to environment, there is some percentage of the the resulting behavior that comes from that category at some point we have to deal with the third category choice, and we have to. Just come to a place wherever you are on that list. And I found myself in several one of those descriptions, several of those descriptions. Wherever you find yourself in that list, you have to come to a place. If you're going to find healing, if there's going to be salvation, if there's going to be recovery, you have to come to a place where you decide uh oh, that is sin. My disobedience to my parents, that's sin my drivenness and controlling that nearly drove my wife from me, that is sin. So in the same way, homosexuality is sin. I know because I have a number of friends who are gay or who uh, consider themselves homosexuals. I know that's not something they want to hear. I didn't want to hear it about this. But no health, no healing, no hope came to me. 30 years of wonderful marriage I almost threw away because I was unwilling to, um, to bite that bullet until that day. At some point, we have to decide that when things are not as God intended, it's sin. But the truth is, we are all sinners. Every stinking one of us. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul who wrote those words said it in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, I am the chief sinner. And Jesus is the only hope for sinners. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where I asked you to a few minutes ago. And let's consider... This incredible hope that we have in Christ Jesus as sinners. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me stop right there and say, Because I have come to faith in Christ Jesus, I am not, I am no longer unrighteous. I may do some unrighteous things because I'm in a process. I am saved, but I'm also being saved. And so are you if you've come to faith in Christ. But you are no longer unrighteous. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. It's talking about those who who insist on being those things. Somehow we've got to figure out another way to handle the 12-step process where you stand up and you say, I am so-and-so, I am an alcoholic. We've got to figure out something else. Because when Jesus enters the picture. You are no longer that thing. You may be dealing with the effects of it. You may still be tempted. You may still be stumbling around a little bit. But you are saved. And in the process of being saved. Because he says here. that Those who continue to identify themselves. As these things. They don't inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And then this fantastic three-letter word, but, can you all say that with me? But. But, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That sin that corrupted you has been washed away. Sanctification or being sanctified means being set apart. That means I went, what I used to be, I am no longer. I used to be a control freak and a driven, difficult person to be around. Almost said something else. Probably should repent for that now too. But. <laughs> I used to be that guy, but I've been sanctified I am not that guy anymore my sin the Bible says has been separated from me as far as the East is from the West my sin separated from me does that mean that there aren't times when I am tempted to control things anybody who's ever worked with me can tell you no does that mean that I am not you know that I'm completely free from drivenness no but I, I am NOT that Those things do not, that's not my identity any longer. That is not me. My sin has been separated from me as far as the East is from the West. Justified, I love that word. I was taught in Sunday school that the word justified, when you see it in the Bible, means just as if I'd never sinned. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ for all sinners. last thing I want to say about this today, and I realize that we're just dealing with a really thin slice of a big pie. We're not covering everything. We're not going to answer every question. But the last thing I want to leave you with is that Christians do not condemn sinners. John 3.16, we love to quote it. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How, life? How many of you would say, "Thank God." Thank you. Do you know the next, the next verse says, "For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world? But that the world through him might be saved." Dear ones, it is not our job to condemn. It is our job to point to the one who can save and heal and deliver. Look, and it's not up to us to just say to a person who is struggling with same-sex attraction, stop it. It's not up to us to say to a person who is struggling. Look, I know guys who who I know guys who are so struggle so much with pornography and temptation to that corruption and have fought and fought and fought that battle and find themselves losing more than they would like. I know that they would just as soon have their right arm cut off if they could be free from that bondage. So for me to say to him, well, just stop it. Just unplug the computer. It's not enough. But I'll tell you what is enough is to say, look, let's get on the same page with God. That is sin. And let's change our choice about how we're going to think about that thing and then let God go to work on what's driving you to that stuff. Because He can. Amen. That's right. Now, look, I don't have all the answers. Look, I'm just a little local church pastor trying to do my best to teach people the Word of God. And we're about to have to deal with some stuff that I've never had to deal with in the 30 years of my pastoral ministry. There will be, before long, people who are legally married, where one or the other or both of a same-sex couple will be saved. And then I'm gonna have, we're gonna have to, all of us together, gonna have to decide how we're gonna unwind that. But thank God, it's not up to us. God can unwind that. What about when they have, when they come with their kids? They've they've been saved now, legally married, and they have kids. How do we unwind that? I don't know, but I know a God who there is no, His arm is not short. His arm is not short that he cannot save. And I know that our amazing God is able to... to, He's unwound a lot of stuff in my life. He can do it in whatever situation we find ourselves in. I'm here today just to frame the discussion for us. To point us to the things that I think we can hold on to with absolute certainty. We started off in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ.